Hey, 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 what's up there, winners? It's your girl here, Tab Manning, and you are here with us at um, the Women Empowered Win podcast. Man, it has been a while since I've been on here, and I definitely have missed you all. Um, I hope that you have been continuing to listen to the previous podcast, um, but we're back. Um, I have some very great um, shows lined up for you guys for the month of May. Um, As you all know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And um, for those of you who are, you know, avid listeners and followers, you all know that this is a subject that I am very passionate about, one that is near and dear to my heart, um, simply because of my own, um, you know, mental health struggles in the past, um, as well as having a family history of it. And so I feel like it's very important and very key for me to touch on this and to share information and tools and resources with you all, um, because, you know, that's part of what we do here at We Win. I would be um, not doing my social responsibility if I did not provide this type of information to you. Um, as you know that here at uh, We Win, our mantra is, you know, or our mission, vision, purpose is to uplift, encourage, and inspire the mind, body, and spirit. And so in doing so, we have to make sure that we are taking care of our mental health. Um, I say this all the time, if you broke a leg or if you, you know, twisted your arm or something or wrist, you would go to the hospital. You would make sure that you would see about that because it's physical pain and, you know, it's something that needs to be tended to in order for you to, you know, get back to normal, right? But so many times um, we are, you know, mentally sick or mentally unwell and we do not do the same when it comes to tending to that um, to that health or to that ill. And so we allow it to just kind of, you know, just dwell in the back and, and we don't really put the time or we don't really, you know, take the time out to make sure that we're tending to that. And, you know, just as if you allowed your broke leg to not uh, get repaired or fixed or replaced, you know, it can cause further damage along the way. And mental health is no different. So, um, I know there's a stigma around it and I don't want to jump too ahead of myself, but I just wanted to kind of give you guys an intro of what we will be discussing this month. Um, And we're going to get down, we're going to dig down deep. And I feel like, again, it's so important because one, this is a show for women and women are, um, you know, uh, one of the, you know, men, men do deal with mental Um, mental wellness issues sometimes or mental health issues sometimes but women we definitely this is something that's very very heavy just within our um, you know within our gender and so again I'm all about I'm pro women I love you know I'm passionate about empowering women and I cannot empower women without making sure that our mental health is taken care of so um, our theme I guess for this month would be mental health matters And I have an amazing guest that's going to come on today. So you guys will not have to just listen to me today. I have a guest and she is amazing. And she is going to um, give us some great insight on mental uh, mental wellness. Um, She's going to... just really help to break the stigma and to give us some um, some information and all of that good stuff. But let me go ahead and jump right on in. Um, Once again, you are listening to um, Women Empowered Win Podcast, and I am your host, Tab Manning. And um, today's theme is going to be Mental Health Matters. So 
my special guest today and let me say this I have to say this because she's more than just a guest. She's more than just someone that I just snatched up and said, hey, be on this podcast. She's also a dear friend to me. Um, She and I went to school together. So we have that camaraderie from that. Um, And she's just an amazing woman overall. So her name is Shonda Shonda Conyers. And I'm going to go ahead and give you her bio. So Shonda Conyers is a Long Island, New York native with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and Social Sciences interdisciplinary degree from the State University of New York at Stony Brook and a Master's of Social Work degree from Adelphi University in Garden City, New York. She has worked in a number of human resource settings spanning the gamut from child welfare in a treatment forced care environment to outpatient mental health practice. Over the last 10 years, Shonda has focused her career on providing outpatient mental health services in order to work more closely with individuals and families who want to optimize their quality of life and need professional guidance and support to do so. Now, what she doesn't have in her bio is that she is a former Hempstead Tiger like myself. Um, (laughs) um, She represents that blue and white. Um, She was a cheerleader. Uh, um, This is all the good stuff that I'm sharing because like I said, she's my girl, she's my friend, Um, a dear friend, a great sister, a great woman of God, and um, always there to just give uh, empowerment and encouragement to any and everyone who needs it. Um, I know that you all will feel her just the same, but please, please, please give a listening ear and a warm welcome to my friend and my guest today, Shonda, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I am so glad that you're here with me today. Um, I, you know, when you and I spoke when you were down here visiting a few months ago about, you know, being on the podcast and, you know, the importance of mental health and mental wellness. And, you know, I, I know with the work that you do, I was like, I have to get you on this show because I know that you would just be a blessing to our listeners. So thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. Yep. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. We know your training now. We know your background. But who is Shonda? What does Shonda like? What, what, what's, who's Shonda outside of the, the degrees and, and the work? Good question. So outside of degrees and work, I am a wife of almost 19 years. I have three beautiful children, all adolescents. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of work there. Um, I am a born again Christian. I love God and I try to incorporate my beliefs within reason into my practice because I really feel like it's helpful for many people in terms of resiliency and just kind of understanding the frameworks by which people operate. Um, I am a traveler, uh, a foodie of sorts. I am a lover of life to kind of sum things up because life is worth the living is my motto. Absolutely. I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. And we have lots of common interests because I love to eat, <laughs> love to eat, love to travel. Um, definitely a lover of God. Um, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, with, without God, I don't know how I would get through some things that I've gotten through. So um, I, I'm definitely with you there. And um, yeah, I think that, you know, you have a lot going on. <laughs> 
I'm like a wife of 19 years, which means I, I know that there's definitely, you know, effort and work that has to go into that um, to, to keep ni- to, to be married for 19 years. That's a blessing. And then three children within that, man, I know there's probably not a dull moment in the house for you. <laughs> no, good times. <laughs> and I mean that with all sincerity. And, you know, you learn more about yourself by virtue of the various life roles that you take on. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to get into what is it that you do. Um, Mm -hmm. I would like for you to just kind of share with our audience your official, I guess, title, and then kind of tell us about your practice and different things like that. Sure. So first and foremost, I'm a fellow human being. And I feel like it's important to say that because the one thing that bonds many of us is the idea of common humanity. Um, Secondarily, I am a psychotherapist. And so a psychotherapist is any person who's trained to help people with emotional problems, whether that person is a social worker, a psychologist, psychiatrist, among other professions. And so my background is that I have a bachelor's of arts in psychology, as you indicated. Um, I also have a master's in social work. And as far as my professional licensure, I have the credentials of an independently licensed clinician, which just basically means that I'm able to formally render diagnostic impressions or psychiatric diagnosis in order to then provide psychotherapy to clients in need of services, independent of supervision. So some of my training, um, especially over the last decade, has been really centered around trauma-informed care and just understanding how to treat both simple and complex traumas. I also have extensive work in grief and the theoretical frameworks around treating this issue, um, especially in light of the times that we're currently in. I think it's an understatement um, when we think about the various levels of grief that many of us directly or indirectly are experiencing. So I wanted to make a point of just becoming more educated in how to support people with dealing with the concept of loss and uncertainty. Um, As far as my practice, initially I was in solo practice. However, my company, which is Seed and Harvest Counseling Services, has expanded. And so now I have a staff of other clinicians that are able to provide um, community-based care. You still with me? Yes. Okay. Okay. I wanted to make sure. I thought you had dropped off for a second. Man, so guys, I wanted you to know um, what she's done in her work so that you know that I don't just have someone on here claiming to be a therapist or claiming to be a psychotherapist. She's definitely put in the work. And I feel that it's important for us to make sure that, you know, when we are um, selecting counselors or therapists or, you know, things of that nature, that you really, you know, you check their credentials and you ask them, you know, what have you done? Um, I know when I was searching for my therapist, because I have one, it was important for me to do the work. I went into, of course, my, you know, my um, insurance plan or whatever, and looked in and there's a list of, of, uh, you know, counselors and therapists there. And I took the time out to go in and Google each of their names and see what they had, right? And some of them have absolutely no information about themselves. It just says I have a practice and this is what it is. And automatically they were crossed off the list. I was able to pick my therapist because when I went to her page, 
I was able to go to her website. I was able to see her trainings. I was able to see her education and who, what she's done and, you know, um, her body of work. And I said, okay, this, and then it also gave me a little bit into her, not so much into her personal life, but, you know, just enough for me to say, I think this is the one. And it ended up being that. And she and I've had a great relationship. Um, I think when we, when we consider, uh, you know, going to get, um, you know, assistance or, you know, when we're looking for a counselor or something like that, that we um, take the time out as you would with any doctor or any type of, you know, um, services that you provide, that you really go ahead and do the research because um, having one that's a good fit for you um, will make that experience, you know, make or break that experience for you. So thank you for sharing that. And also, once again, congratulations, because I saw how you slipped in there. <laughs> I saw how you slipped in there that you once were, you know, like solo practice, but that business is growing. So tell us about your business. So largely, we serve a general adult population. And typically, the kind of issues that are treated are mood disorders. So that would be someone with clinical depression to anxiety. However, and again, especially over the last year or so, we've seen a lot of people that have adjustment-related concerns, whether that be because of loss of income that was previously reliable or, unfortunately, loss of loved ones because of the pandemic. Um, and so really and truly we get referrals or we get clientele from people from all walks of life to other entrepreneurs or you know people of the faith to um people who are novice in terms of therapy to people who have been to therapy before but then they're looking for as you were mentioning um to be felt, to feel acknowledged, to feel cared for. And so if I may, I wanted to just kind of add to that, that that is so vitally important. You know, one of the things that I encourage people to do, and this would be more personal, because I've had friends or family that have looked for therapy, and of course I can't be the provider of service. Um, and I will suggest that they have a list of questions to ask at that first appointment, um, because it's really, sort of critical that the rapport is established in order to then feel like you're going to get the work done. And what I always say to people too is there's no sense in um, sort of wasting your time if initially you don't feel like you're in an environment of safety. So that's one of the things that Seed and Harvest Counseling prides ourselves on is that we want to get in there with individuals and part of doing that is for us to establish the rapport rather instantly with folks. Um, we are also a service that provides support groups. So in addition to providing sort of the one-on-one -on -one care, we do have a number of groups that we are currently offering virtually to include bereavement support groups, uh, working with children of divorce and just helping them to cope with adjustment. If you, um, in a matter of speaking, we kind of pride ourselves on being generalist in our practice, which just basically means we deal with a lot of the common conditions. However, there are some specialties within the practice. So certainly when people are looking to do work around one specific issue, such as trauma, um, I myself am trained as well as my therapist. So we, we really just try to meet the needs of the community and they are as vast and as um, sort of numerous as 
people are and 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 unique as people are yeah yeah that's good stuff um because like like we just said you know that fit it, it has to be there and if you are able to establish that early on then you save both yourself and your therapist you know that time right um i can remember um going to a therapist a few years ago and it seemed like it was going to be a good fit and i wanted to give it I wanted to give it, you know, a few sessions to determine, okay, whether or not this was going to work. And each time I went to a session, I felt like, and you know me, Shonda, I can talk. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing that I did not have a problem with is talking. And so I'm I'm not that client that you got to pull stuff out of. I'm that client that you got to be like, okay, wait, pause, hold up, let's stop here. (laughs) Because my current therapist is very good at doing that. But this woman would just sit and listen to me talk for the whole hour and then once the hour was over there was no recap there was no she took a lot of notes I saw her writing she did take a lot of notes but there was no recap there was no feedback there was no um no exercises to try at home or no homework or no suggestions and so I'm like if I'm gonna pay you (laughs) to sit here and just listen to me vent and talk without any type of uh you know, some some sort of, I guess, uh, what was I looking for? I was looking for feedback or observations or what interactive, or so, it's, yeah, something mm-hmm. like that. And, and I just wasn't getting it. And after like the third session, I'm like, okay, you have like several notes, and I don't have you. You haven't said anything back to me. So, like, what are we doing at this point? And and I ended up ending that relationship because it just wasn't beneficial for me at that. I, I needed someone to just you know advising counsel as well as listen and that wasn't a good fit so guys make sure you're doing your research when you are seeking a therapist and a counselor and make sure that it's a good fit because if it's not a good fit then it's not you know it's counterproductive for both of you um one thing that i found interesting and of course i already did the research so i know the answers to this question but i found that the name of your company was very interesting seed and harvest so can we talk about the name and how you um how you came to that name absolutely and i'm smiling here because initially the company was seed i'm sorry it was second chance counseling services um and our name switched roughly three years ago And it was really divine intervention. That's probably the best way that I could describe it. Like I literally was sitting in the office one day. um, And for those who are spiritual, you'll be able, and particularly if you have a Christian background, um, will understand the name changes that occur in the Bible. And literally I could hear the voice of the divine say, you have to switch the name of the business. And of course me being inquisitive, but without questioning too much kind of, wondered why and so the reason why is because as i was reminded when we plant a seed whether that be a seed of hope or doubt then we're going to reap a harvest but which one do we want to cultivate Mm -hmm. and so it was very clear that the seeds or the level of insight professionally that we are offering to those that we serve needs to be one in which people are able to grow and to continue to support their growth in terms of the episode of care, but also beyond, which is what we look for. So, you know, in saying that, most times people will ask us, how long are we to be in treatment? And the answer to that question is, however long is needed. 
But what we want to be assured of is that you've grown throughout the process. So again, it just comes down to what's the seed that's being cultivated in order for that person to optimize to their fullest potential. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Because, I mean, as when you were speaking, what came to mind for me was, as you said, if I'm going to, you know, whatever seeds I plant, they're going to, you know, they're going to grow and they're going to reap a harvest. So if I'm going to plant seeds into, you know, my mental health, right? Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm going to take the time to do the work, which is planting those seeds, and as I'm planting those seeds, I'm watering those seeds, I'm, you know, um, I'm, I'm nurturing and, and, and fertilizing and I'm doing all of this stuff mm-hmm. so that at the end, when my harvest comes, it'll be healthy and it'll be strong and it'll be on good ground. And, you know, kind of like they say, you know, uh, the, the, the tree that produces fruit, right? You are, you notice it, you notice a tree by the fruit that it bears. And so when you're planting this tree or when you're, you know, planting these seeds in the ground, if you don't put the work in, then your seeds are going to die. They're not going to grow and they're not going. So you have to be able to put that work in in order to reap that harvest that you're looking for. So that's what came to mind when you said it. That's kind of what came to mind when I first um, saw the name of your business. And then, of course, I went to look it up and see. Um, So I I love it. I love the concept. And to your point, yes, when you think of it from a biblical perspective, um, how many times in the Bible has, has people's names changed, right? And it was because they went to, they entered a different phase of life. They were, they had to go through something and so they were no longer their former selves. But after that experience or that challenge that God delivered them from, they were now, you know, a new creation, more or less, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. All right, so we're going to jump into some therapy questions. But first... I have one last question for you because I really wanted for my listeners, because, you know, this is an opportunity for you, of course, to um, spotlight your business. And I'm always about spotlighting entrepreneurs, about spotlighting women in business. Um, This, of course, is extra special because you are, you know, a psychotherapist and you do have your own business and mental health is extremely important. But um, I wanted the listeners to be able to say hey I might need a therapist you know mm-hmm. I might need a clinician and I heard about you know seeded harvest on the podcast so let me reach out um so I guess two questions almost okay so so this one is easy um the first one is are you virtual if someone wanted to reach out to you but they're not in the DMV area do you guys offer virtual sessions so This is not coming from me. This is actually coming from the state of Maryland. Um, Under our licensing regulations, while we are virtual, it would have to be that the individual is also a resident of Maryland. So what that means is that we can't unfortunately provide services to anyone outside of the state parameters. Okay, okay. So for my my Maryland listeners, because I do have some and I am a part of a nonprofit, um, in the DMV area. So I do have some connections up there. So if you all are listening and you're looking for counseling services, Seed and Harvest is available to you. Um, my And I know that you have a book and we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show as we get into the counseling, I mean, into the therapy discussion. But my last question for you personally is what is your why? Why did Shonda become a therapist? 
You know, I tried to answer that in a few sentences. And the reason why is because we'd be here all day if I got into sort of the <laughs> nitty gritty. <laughs> I mean, really, my reasons why are very vast. But the short version would be that I really believe that the profession chose me initially. You know, I can recall conversations with people earlier on in life and being told that I'm easy to listen to or I'm easy to talk to. I'm sorry, that that I am a good listener and that I'm easy to talk to. And I never really realized that as a gift until I began to initially pursue other facets of social work earlier on in my career. Um, and then it became pretty apparent to me at some point that the concept of holding space for people and investing in a story is what I felt I needed to do. So in addition to having a moral slash social slash spiritual conviction around the work and the art of therapy, um, I really saw it as an opportunity to become an agent of change and to do my part in helping to improve the human condition. Wow. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> That was because, you know, when I'm asked that question about, you know, why did I decide to become a life coach or why am I an empowerment speaker? To your point, like I could sit here and give you a million reasons why, but I feel like you summed that up pretty good. <laughs> um, and and I, again, you know, you and I have talked about this, so I can absolutely relate to many of those things that you said. But I'm, one thing that I will say is I appreciate your obedience um, to understanding your calling and to answering that calling because um, this work is needed um, and we need to see you know more, more of us in this field um, mm -hmm. and and because I think and of course I don't want to get ahead of myself but I think if we can see more of us in this field then we'll be more comfortable with of course destigmatizing it and we'll be able to say okay she looks like me mm -hmm. she's from my she's from my community she may understand me she may be able to relate to me and ultimately that's what we all really want is someone to be able to understand us and relate to us and validate us so absolutely yeah so thank you so much just again for your obedience and for um you know heeding the call because this work that you do it's very much needed but i know that it um it's very demanding <laughs> and mm -hmm. it can be um and i know that at times it can you know be very um I don't want to use the word stressful, um, but I'll say I know that it takes a lot <laughs> in order to, because even speaking with, you know, other doctors and, and others in the field, you know, it's, it, it can be mentally um, draining at times for you, right? So um, it takes a lot to, to walk in your shoes. And I just want to say thank you and applaud, and applaud you for the work that you're doing. It's my pleasure and privilege. <laughs> okay, so now that we've heard about Shonda and we've heard about Seagan Harvest, um, we are going to get into um, some discussion and hope we, we're going to try to get deep, but we're not going to get super, super deep, but we want to be able to touch into some things because I feel like it's very important that we um, discuss how we break the stigma, um, how to unstigmatize, you know, um, the stereotype of therapy and mental illness and mental health and mental wellness. And, you know, we hear these terms a lot and, and getting thrown out, um, you know, mental health matters and making sure you're taking care of that. But I really wanted to talk about it um, because of how it affects our community. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about was, and this is just a few statistics with uh, Black and, Amer and African-American communities and mental health. So 
13.4% of the U.S. population identifies as Black or African American, and of that 13.4%, over 16% reported having mental illness in the past year. So that's over 7 million people. That would be more people than the populations of Chicago, Houston, and Philadelphia combined. Now, overall mental health conditions occur in the Black and African American people in America about the same or less frequency than white Americans. However, the historical Black and African American experience in America has and continues to be characterized by trauma and violence more often or more than their white counterparts and impacts our emotional and mental health of both youth and adults. So everything from historical dehumanization and oppression and violence against Black and African-American people has evolved into what we now know as present-day racism and structural, excuse me, structural, institutional, and individual. Um, and this has cultivated a uniquely mistrustful and less affluent community experience, right? So we know that the disparities, the demographics, the society, societal issues, um, you know, all take a toll on us as a people and um of course that trauma and, and and those things that we experience it shapes and you know and how can i say it it um it affects us overall but the difference is is that we either don't recognize it or don't want to acknowledge it or we've been silenced or we've been told you know to just kind of ignore it and move forward and so we don't take the time out to to deal with those issues and to seek the help and counsel that we need in order to heal from it and to grow from it. And so Shonda, I would like to kind of get your perspective on that, um, on the stigma around it. And mm -hmm. also how do you feel that we could, you know, unstigmatize it? Okay. So in general context, you know, typically many people will shy away from mental health or access to mental health care because of fear of the unknown. You know, you have to consider that as human beings, we generally thrive off of predictability. And even though for those who do decide to take the step and engage in therapy, while it's often a worthwhile and enlightening experience, um, the path that an individual goes on requires that they make some discoveries, some of which is scary. You know, and, you know, I've heard some people to say that they fear losing control as a result of confronting difficult emotions or discussing adverse life experiences. And so, you know, there's a fear of taking that risk. The other thing would be sometimes pride and concerns about being deemed, quote unquote, ill by others is what keeps people from seeking treatment. But specifically what I have found and I do work with, and so does my staff, work with largely an African-American culture, kind of going back to that level of relatability, familiarity, um, which is wonderful to see that people are coming into treatment. However, historically within the African-American culture, there's sort of this story of perseverance and resilience as a result of surviving mm -hmm. slavery, mm -hmm. in which case many African-Americans in turn convinced themselves that surely we can survive quote unquote sadness or quote unquote anxiety and to do mm -hmm. anything less is considered spiritual or moral weakness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the reality is, is that sometimes what's missed is that a person is not just experiencing melancholy. In fact, it could be something more. And you know, you referenced some statistics and I actually found statistics that said more than 20% of adult African-Americans 
report serious psychological distress, but they're far less likely to access treatment. And that's within any given year. Um, you know, the other thing would be that in addition to the cultural stigma surrounding mental health care, there's also, as you mentioned before, the reality of discrimination um, and overall lack of awareness around mental health inaccessibility to quality care. So there's all these sort of impediments that make it very difficult for people to either acknowledge that they need help or to then, if they do acknowledge it, get access to that care. Yes. So, and I was, I'm sorry, I was just kind of taking notes here while you were speaking. Um, so yes, and it, it, it really makes sense because when you said, okay, we started off with the fear of the unknown, right? Um, and so it's something that we were not, you know, we were not exposed to, we didn't have access to, we, um, and that comes from, like you said, from history, right? And history, you know, from, from slavery and beyond, the resiliency and, and the fact that, you know, we survived this and we are a very proud people of what we've been able to, um, to, to pull from, you know, to, to, to overcome, I should say. Mm-hmm. And we, we were, we had to overcome without resources or help or any of those things. And so I think that thought process or that ideology gets passed down, um, as we continue to, you know, from generation to generation. So, you know, how we like, about my, my you know, great grandma, but she didn't have counseling and she went through A, B, C, D. And so if she was mm-hmm. able to get through it, then I can get through it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and then the accessibility piece, well, you know, on the plantation or, and, and, and beyond, they didn't have access to a, 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 um, a psychotherapist or a mental health counselor. So, you know, that accessibility piece is there as well. I didn't have access. They didn't need it. So we don't need it. They didn't have access to it. So we don't have access to it. But what I found is that we know the disparities within the communities. And sometimes there are resources and tools out there. Like I I know for a fact um, that, and and, and, you know, we could get into the different, um, the the different levels of care, Mm -hmm. but I, but I know that um, a few years ago, um, a family member of mine um, was dealing with some mental health issues and we were trying to get them help and they didn't have like insurance and different things like that. And so we really didn't know like, you know, where we could go and where we could find resources. And I started just looking up stuff just like within the state or county and found that they did have like behavioral health and they did have, you know, resources that were out there that were, you know, quote unquote free for them for, you know, specific amount of sessions or things like that. So sometimes it's about just, you know, amplifying and and letting the community know that, hey, there are resources that's out there and available to you, right? So, um, so we talked about that. So the so the history, of course, fear of the unknown, the survival and resilience piece. Um, and then there was something else that you said that I didn't catch. Access to care. Access to care. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I believe that these are all. Um, I'm in agreement that you know these are all definitely, um, you know, factors in, in in why we don't get the care that we need. Um, and then also, you know, just, I think when you, when you consider, when you consider family structures or, you know, I was always, you know, told or not even told, but, um, families tend to, you know, look at you like, you don't need to go to therapy for that. Mm-hmm. Ther- therapy is for 
white people or that's what the white folks do or you know if you did have to you know if you did have that one or two you know family members that did have to go away because you know we have some of those too that we don't talk about the ones that they send away to these you know um mental health hospitals or things like that something was wrong with them they were crazy so then you kind of get you know labeled if you have to see a therapist for you crazy is something wrong with you you know Mm -hmm. we automatically associate therapy or counsel with being crazy (laughs) and that's such a you know that's so hard because at that point if you are dealing with something internally you're not going to share it for fear that you're going to be you know talked about or labeled within your family or amongst your peers absolutely and it's so unfortunate because if i had to give a brief history lesson i mean this concept of demonization and demoralization of individuals mental health concerns has a far longer standing history than a history of acceptance going back to the middle ages you know which that period of time was between the 5th and 15th century and in all honesty there were still negative attitudes towards the 18th century however you have many um, people in the field that certainly come before me that said hey wait a minute there are things that we can do albeit many of those mental health treatments were way more invasive and were determined to be inhumane but that was society's way of no longer ignoring that people had concerns I think about um, just, you know, um, conversations that I've had with, you know, whether it be clients, because, you know, um, in coaching, you know, I make sure that I put the disclaimer out early that I'm not, a, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist, I'm not trained in those areas, I don't have those certifications. Um, however, I'm here to kind of have conversations and maybe help you to see what areas you're stuck in and then say, well, hey, have you considered? I'm always a big, one of the things that I first tell my clients is, you know, um, have, do you see do you see a therapist or a counselor? Because I feel like, I feel like we all need to. I feel like it's almost like preventative medicine as well. I, mm-hmm. It's like, it's like going for, it's like a woman going for her annual exam, her annual mammogram. I, I, I am of the belief that therapy should be a part of your regimen for just your overall health in general that's just my (laughs) that's just my perspective some may argue with me and and not agree but I mean I I just believe that um absolutely you know therapy is designed to help with every aspect of life from the seemingly benign to the most devastating of issues you know I could have someone who wants to talk to me about how to be a better friend and you know on the spectrum of things that might be considered um more benign to the person who has sort of multi layers of family dysfunction and trauma. So it really is that therapy should be preventative in many instances if um, you're fortunate to have that set of circumstances, but certainly at the point in which maybe things are spiraling out of control, um, just having a non-biased perspective from a professional generally helps a person to get back on the course that he or she has determined for their life. Yes. And so two things. Um, One, what you mentioned before, I'm trying to think of exactly how you said it. Um, I can't remember exactly what you said, but I want to paraphrase for a moment. Um, I was thinking of people who won't get it because, like you said, they're afraid of spiraling out of control 
or that's what it was you said that um people typically shy away from it because they feel like they don't want to get to that point where they're out of control mm-hmm. and i remember i can remember a similar situation it was a conversation that i had about a couple um who was considering going to premarital counseling and the um the the husband in the relationship did not was completely against premarital counseling he told you know he told his fiance at the time he was like you know we don't need to do that you know there's we don't have problems we we're good we get along we don't argue we don't fight we don't do any of these things we don't need to have premarital counseling the only thing that counselor is going to do is give us problems that we do not have and that right there was like uh, a fear of the unknown without him even you know recognizing that um you know and, and probably afraid that things would come up that they weren't necessarily ready to deal with because it was like, hey, everything's all good right now. We don't need someone digging in our business or, you know, coming in here and stirring up trouble that's not here. And that was the idea that I don't want to go in here because I don't want somebody on my on, the, on in my brain pulling stuff out that's going to cause more problems. I'd rather just kind of ignore the problems, right? Mm-hmm. But later on down the line, this same couple ends up, you know, having issues that you know manifested you know through you know later on within the marriage but they probably not to say because all marriages have issues but those problems would probably have been identified earlier earlier on you know again that preventative medicine that I was talking about earlier that preventative health stuff and been able to have been you know kind of dealt with identified talked about because a lot of times you know the therapist and the counselor they do know how to you know you know ask certain questions or you know pull certain things out that they may be able to see just from the interaction within their clients mm-hmm. would you like to ex- expound on that i agree you know what i always remind people of is that while i am invested in their story throughout the episode of care the reality is i'm in a far more objective observer stance than they may be because everything that they report on is subjective meaning that it's they're intimately acquainted with it right and most times when we think about human behavior at large much of what we do and how we exist how we show up is based on patterns of behavior, whether those patterns of behavior be positive or negative. And so oftentimes there are unconscious processes that need to be brought to an individual's conscious awareness. Well, it's hard to do that if you're literally living in your skin, but now a therapist or a counselor on the outside of that situation is able to identify that for them. And, you know, again, um, we are professionally trained, so a lot of um, even what informs the care is the theoretical frameworks that we utilize to be able to help people make the connection between their thoughts, their behaviors, their um, internal processes. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of like that term, you know, where the person may feel like, you know, if if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? (laughs) But... When you think of it from, and I'll use like your vehicle as an example, um, your vehicle, in order for it to run smoothly, in order for it to, you know, run for a long period of time, you know, you have to put time, you have to put, you know, that work into that car. You have to rotate those tires however many miles. You have to get the oil changed. You have to, you know, get the tune-ups that you need and different things like that. Um, 
in order for it to last, in order for it to to work more or less. And so you don't want to wait until uh, the oil runs out and then the engine blows to say, oh, now I got to go get this fixed. And I think therapy is kind of the same way when you look at it that way. If you're doing it along the way and you're putting in that time to putting in the work into your mental wellness, then you won't have to wait for such as a crisis or, you know, something bad to happen before you start to go, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, It comes down to investment. Investment, investing in yourself. Do you feel that your mental health is enough for you to invest in or do you want to wait until something, you know, happens that, you know, Um, that kind of sets you off or that last straw to where now, you know, you're, you know, maybe unable to, to function now because you've had this, this, I don't, and and I, of course I'm not a therapist, so I don't want to use the incorrect terms, but this breakdown, um, mentally, and, and now you need, you know, um, more repair possibly than you would have had you done it along the way, um. I know when I went in my church in, in like couples um, in, in the couples ministry, you know, the leaders of the couples ministry was my pastor and his wife. And they would talk about all the time, you know, if they went to therapy as a couple on a regular basis. It wasn't they, they didn't just go when they had a problem. You know, they went through the entire duration of their marriage and they said that it was helpful because it gave them the opportunity to again deal with, you know, what they may have been dealing with, stuff that may come up later on, you know, in this in the counseling therapy allowed them to have the tools and resources to know, okay, when we have a disagreement, how do we fight fairly? You know, how do we um you know, come back from that? How do we, you know, communicate? That's one thing that therapy talks about, I mean, or deals with a lot is communication um, for those of us who may struggle when communicating within relationships. And then another thing that you had touched on um, about sometimes coming in for something like you said, hey, I'm coming in because I don't know how to be a good friend. Um, you know, I have trouble with my, with my relationships, relationships with my girlfriends. And then within those sessions, you start to share, you know, um, whether it's your childhood trauma or whether it's something that happened to you or, you know, some other relationships in your lives early on that are factors of as to why you're having these relationship issues now. They're kind of manifesting in the relationships that you're having now, but it relates back to something that you probably weren't even aware of, but in, in having those conversations and those sessions, that counselor is able to pull those things out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like I said, I just, I could sit here and talk counseling therapy all day. Um, I love to, you know, and, and I'm, you know, uh, my listeners and, and those who follow me know that I share my journey. I share my story all the time. Um, I was first introduced to counseling when my mom passed when I was 13. Um, my uncle sent me to a therapist and she was somewhere like down in the village of Hempstead somewhere. Cause I would walk every Wednesday. I never forget. I had to walk to her office after school once a week. And back then, I don't even know that I, I I can't tell you what I talked about or what our sessions were about because I don't remember. But what I do remember is that I appreciated the fact that I had an outlet because I had been through so much trauma during that time in my life. And I felt alone at that time in my life. And I didn't feel like I had anyone who would listen or who would be able to understand what I was going through or where I was coming from. And so some days I might not have said 
two words to this woman, but it was just the fact of being able to go somewhere and have someone ask me, you know, how was your day today? How are you feeling? What's going on? Um, that I appreciated that. And that was, um, it was very impactful in my life at an early age because one, I appreciate the fact that I was introduced to therapy so young because then I was open to it as an adult. Um, and two, I feel like because I had that in my life at that particular time, that it helped me to not go um, on the wrong path, you know, because of all that I had experienced up until that point. It was very easy for me to become a statistic or to go off and, you know, just kind of, you know, dealing with the trauma that I was dealing with. Um, but I think that having that therapist in my life at that time was just very, very um um, very, very important, and I feel like it really helped me. So that's why I'm just such an advocate for it because I am a believer that it works because I know that it's worked for me. And I can tell, you know, when I get to a place in life, I'm like, okay, I've, I've kind of been away from it for a while, and I feel like I need to, you know, get back in or find one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on the same heels of that, I'm, I'm loving how right now. Um, a lot of our actresses and celebrities are using their platforms to bring awareness to mental um, wellness and mental health awareness. I know Taraji, she now has a podcast and um, she talks about it a lot. You know, you have Jada with the Red Table um, and, and, a, and a whole bunch of others that's out there. But, you know, we're starting to see that it's important. And I think that if more of us can see people who look like us and people who are celebrities say, hey, I got problems, I got issues too. And I, can, I had childhood trauma too. Then perhaps that will allow us to kind of break the stigma and to, you know, start, you know, seeking the counsel and help and, and taking our mental health more seriously. Definitely. Yep. So, um, all right. So we talked about the stigma. We talked about why people shy away and why don't they see the value you've you've touched on you you hit all of those (laughs) you you hit all of those you're on a roll today um and why this ideology is harmful to us so um if you could just kind of tell me from you know from from your perspective as to why do you feel like um mental health and awareness and therapy are important because mental health as we've said before is health You know, when one's mental health issues aren't addressed, it affects their global functioning, meaning that there could be issues with how they're doing academically, if applicable to financially, socially, and physically. And then of course, some of the more severe negative outcomes of not tending to one's mental health would be substance misuse, dangerous behaviors, self-harm, suicide, uh, chronic medical conditions. So, you know, it's really imperative to be just as diligent with the upkeep of your thoughts and your emotions as it is any other aspect of health. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, I feel like when we, because we, we all, we all face challenges and we all face obstacles and we all face, you know, you know, just, you know, different things that we're experiencing within times of our lives. And, we don't always recognize what it is or where it's coming from, right? And so to your point, when we are unable to identify it and to get the help that we need, then we typically, we try to find other vices or outlets to kind of, you know, to distract us from it or to suppress it or to, 
you know, compartmentalize it or to numb it with, like you said, vices. And, and I think that that is the type of stuff that leads to, like you said, you know, substance abuse and suicidal thoughts and harming ourselves and things of that nature. Um, when the, um, the, the, the root of the problem is something that's, you know, going on, you know, whether it be a chemical or, or what have you, you know, imbalance or something within um, our mental health. So, yeah, it, it's very, it's, again, and I, I keep saying it and I, I keep repeating it over and over, just how important it is to deal with your mental, um, deal, dealing with your mental wellness. Um, what else? I was going to say something else, but maybe it will come back to me as we go into, oh, actually it'll be the perfect segue into the next, um, to the next segment of this interview. Um, when we think about everything that's happening within our society right now from the pandemic to you know the social justice stuff that we're seeing on television you know seeing black and brown people being gunned down by the police and um the stuff that's happening within the political system you know the insurgents that happen people being out of work and um it we're dealing with a lot and then um what i've been noticing and what i've been you know uh, seeing a lot um of interviews and, and just documentaries right now on just how heavy um, social media is and the part that it plays within our mental health. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you know, and not just, of course, with teenagers and with kids and things like that, but even with adults, um, this social media thing is really heavy and they're doing so many studies on it now as to how it affects us, um, be, you know, because of the gratification piece of it and, you know, the different things like that. Um, but with all of those things that's happening in the world and we are, you know, getting up, still trying to go to work and take care of our families and, you know, and, and remain functional. And we have all of these things that's happening. How do we find peace in the world full of chaos? And this is where you get to come out and, and, and do your thing. Um, <laughs> how do we find peace in this chaotic world? The, there is so much that's going You can't even turn on the news right now. For me, sometimes I have to just unplug. And I'm mm-hmm. learning because I'm a person, if you know me, my phone is always connected to me, which I'm trying to get better at that. Um, I was a person that would watch the news every single day, all day long. Um, I was a social media junkie. I'm really trying to get better at that. Um, but these were things that I, I kind of became a part of my routine and my daily habit. And, you know, I consider myself to be an empath. So I take on everyone's feelings and emotions and all of that. And I think that that played a lot um, in my own um uh, I guess you would say mini crisis that I had been dealing with earlier this year. Um, so how do you, because, you know, for me, it was, you know, my, my coping skills are journaling and meditating and praying and, you know, things of that nature. But I, I, what I, what I came to find about myself and in my own therapy was that, you know, sometimes those, well, so those coping skills were not, were no longer working for me per se. And I had to do something different. They worked for me up until a point. Um, but when you have uh, all of this weight that you're dealing with, mm-hmm. um, and, and we all, you know, maybe dealing, we all have it from different places and different things that we're experiencing. Um, as you and I talked about earlier, um, a few months ago, I posted on social media 
uh, I think I, I don't know if this was for my 40th or maybe my 41st birthday, but I literally felt like I was having a midlife crisis. <laughs> and and I just needed to see if, if I was the only one that was going through it because we always hear about men having midlife crises and they go out and they buy a motorcycle or a sports car or whatever and, and you know that that's the whole uh, little stereotype that surrounds that but I said do women have midlife crisis and what do we do for hours do we, we don't go out and buy a sports car necessarily but you know what do we do so um, I guess that's you know that was a, a long a, long drawn way of getting to the question but with all that's happening to us right now um a lot of us are feeling really heavy a lot of us are dealing with a lot of pressures of this world and different things um what do you suggest or how can you help us to find peace in the midst of the chaos sure so you know essentially finding peace means committing to consistent self-care practices so one of the things that you said but i'll also kind of augment that would be putting your phone on airplane mode or do not disturb. Do you really need to be on 24-7? Probably not. And you'd be surprised that when you do those things, how that allows for an instant mental breather. The other thing would be giving consideration to restorative practices. So meditation being one of them, yoga being another, and some of the other Eastern medicines have been shown to provide really great benefits, um, especially with management of anxiety that don't involve Um, anything invasive. Uh, The other thing would be really being um, consistent with maintenancing an emotional support network, whether that's friends, family members, the community, um, because that's really important. You know, there's an old saying that says no man is an island, and that couldn't be a truer statement when you think about a year or more of being in isolation for many or just having to physically distance, but really kind of using um, the various platforms that many of us are operating from to maintain that sense of connection. Uh, The other thing that would be important is to just build a discrepancy between what you can and cannot control. And literally what that means is in the moment, you know, the reality is some people I believe are overscheduled or really extending their boundaries and so it's important to just have those check-ins or doing that self-inventory in terms of okay what is it that I can reasonably manage in this space versus what can wait Um, some other things would be to take a walk you know there is a value there's actually walking meditations that many people find useful because it accomplishes two things so you're exercising your body but you're also exercising your mind um and then two give yourself the gift of therapy because you don't have to carry the weight alone i think all of those are great suggestions (laughs) and i know that i have personally incorporated several of them into my regimen and they have all been very very helpful Um, I know once upon a time I uh, was diagnosed with anxiety and I know that um, I was one of those people that I I was more leaning towards the eastern practice and not the western I feel like the west a lot of times likes to just kind of throw you a pill and and I mean I'm not saying that there aren't you know there aren't cases where that may need to happen, but Absolutely. I, but I felt like in, in my in my case for myself, I did not want to, especially with the history of substance abuse in my family and different things like that. I was like, okay, I don't want to 
be chemically dependent on something to make you know to help me with my emotions um and that was when I discovered yoga and the yoga helped me with my anxiety I felt like I just needed to uh I had I felt like in my in my brain there was like a million windows open at once and there was never an off button there was never a time when I was just like could even be um present in the moment because while I might be having a conversation with someone I'm thinking of a million other things that I have going on it was like always something happening in the background I wasn't sleeping well at night and I wasn't and I just was like God I just need to be able to just turn this off I want to be able to turn this noise off sometimes (laughs) and yoga helped me do that and um it was weird because I remember um you know growing up in in the Christian faith a lot of people shied away from yoga you know that's an eastern practice and they're chanting and so on and so forth and I was like look I found Christian yoga I don't I don't say the chants that they say you know I am I know who I'm praying to I know what my scriptures are and I know what I'm leaning on when I'm in meditation and meditation is meditation so yoga worked for me with my anxiety it definitely helped to just kind of quiet the noise um last year I started walking and walking turned to running and that was a form of therapy for me um it definitely helped I remember reading somewhere if you ever start to feel sad or depressed just get up and start moving start moving Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what you do just get up and start moving because once you start doing that it makes and again I'm not a doctor you all you know this so don't hold my jargon against me but it says that once you start doing that it starts making things inside your body these uh, hormones or you know different things like that move around and it helps with bringing out is it the serotonin levels or something like Mm -hmm. that yes okay (laughs) you know a little bit um but it does that and it helps you with you know um changing your your moods or your emotions or what have you so um absolutely and like you said the gift of therapy um, can't harp on this enough guys and you know I don't know what everyone's I know every everyone has different you know financial um, you know financial things happening but um, for myself like I, I figured out that you know I work for an organization thankfully that had what they call an EAP program and, and for those of you who may work in corporate America or you know work for a company that has an EAP program EAP is employee assistance program and for many of for many of these programs, they incorporate mental health and counseling services, and sometimes it's free. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I got eight free sessions. Please know that I use these sessions. Use those benefits. Use those resources. They're out there. And a lot of times, even your local you know, government and county and things like that, they will have resources available. There might even be a sliding scale or something like that that's incorporated. Right now, with the way the pandemic is, you don't even have to go in face-to-face anymore. A lot of these these, um, services are virtual. So I just highly encourage you all because like we said, we know that, you know, we're dealing with a lot and um, we need to be able to have an outlet and have a release if we want to be our whole selves, if we want to show up fully, if we want to break cycles for our families. Um, I realized that I came from a family that, you know, had had dealt with um, mental illness and you know, my mom suffered from mental illness. My uncle suffered from mental illness. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to say I suffer from mental illness because I have my mental illness. My mental illness does not have me. But one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to deal with it, handle it, address it so that my children 
you know, it might not necessarily be passed down because, but people don't realize sometimes, and my therapist and I were talking about this, is that, you know, part of mental illness is genetic and it can be passed down through your family, you know, through your family bloodline. So being mindful of those things, you know, I want to, you know, do the work, not just for myself, but for my children and for my children's children. And therefore, just because Big Mama didn't have a therapist doesn't mean that I can't have a therapist. And my children and great grandchildren will know that, you know, uh, I did what I, I did the work so that I could be healthy so that they could be healthy. So one last thing I'd like to talk about before I let you go is your book. Okay. So Go ahead. Is, I was going to say, <laughs> the book is titled The ABCs of What is Right or Wrong with Me. And um, this self-help book is written by two psychotherapists, Shonda being one. And we know that it talks about the symptoms, actions, and descriptive words that are in the alphabetical order to help the reader to easily try and determine what is right and wrong with them to their loved ones. So if you want to expound on that a little bit and, and then tell us how they can contact you, how they can get your book and all of that good stuff. Sure. Well, the idea was to provide a user-friendly guide to help people better understand themselves, as well as on the other side of things, understand their relationships and so my colleague and I thought it would be a nice way of speaking in plain language you know one of the things that concerns many clients especially if you're not in the field yourself is that sometimes the talk as you will cycle babble could be very hard to decode and so we were committed to identifying some pretty common concepts and or issues that we have um dealt with or treated in our practice in a way where people could begin to better articulate what was coming up for them. The other thing too is we kind of took a unique approach to an ABC format because if you decide to pick up the book which is available on Amazon, um, it's it's symptom identification and just kind of in keeping with the alphabet kind of a way of being easy to remember certain things. Um, so there's that. As far as how to contact Seed and Harvest, we can be reached um, by telephone at 410-415-9448. We are also um, listed on psychologytoday.com as well as Therapy for Black Girls. There you can read our profile and get an idea of the issues that are treated amongst the insurances that are accepted and anything else in the way of preliminarily getting to know us. Awesome. Therapy for Black Girls. I love, love, love that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, Do you have... I'm getting ready to pull up some information for um, NAMI, but while I'm pulling that up, um, just any last words of encouragement or wisdom for the listeners that you would like to share with them today? Well, I first want to thank everyone that gave their listening ear. You know, the work of therapy can be challenging, enlightening, scary, um, confrontational in some regard. But the one thing that I would like to leave everyone with is that you are your best investment and so the work may sometimes be challenging but if you would hang in there and give yourself the opportunity to 
manifest into your higher self, it'll be worth all the work put forth. My best to you all. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Shonda. Thank you for the nuggets that you have dropped on us today and for just sharing um, candidly and, and transparent. And I hope that everyone that um, listens today is able to take something away from you know this, this podcast on today. Um, we cannot emphasize the importance of mental health awareness. You um, are your best self when your mind, body, and spirit are all in balance. Um, I, I can't stress that enough. That is why that is my mission. That's my mission as a podcaster, as an author, as a speaker, as a life coach. Um, because I feel that, you know, if we're going to be empowered, if we're going to, you know, walk in our purpose and do the great things that God has called us to be, we have to make sure that our mind, body, and spirit is right. Um, so invest in yourself, gift yourself, do what you need to do. And if you feel like, you know, there are some things that you're dealing with and you're struggling with, um, there are resources out there available to you. Um, one of them, which are NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, and they are the largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans who are affected by mental illness. Um, their helpline, um, the number is 800-950-6264. They are, um, that helpline is available on Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, or if you are in a crisis, you can text the word, the letters NAMI, N-A-M-I, to 741-741. And that is for 24-7 confidential free crisis counseling. So again, um, that you can text NAMI, N-A-M-I, to 741-741 for 24-7 confidential free crisis counseling. Um, I also have the number for the suicide awareness line and that number is 800-273-8255 and again that's the national suicide hotline and that's 800-273-8255 so i'll just leave you with this with these three words mental health matters thank you all for listening shonda thank you for being a guest and again sending love and light from the 